Hey, good morning. Merry Christmas. You don't know which one. Do I say morning or I say Merry Christmas? Which one? Depends what mood you're in, I guess, and how you uh, get around this time of year. I don't know if you're a Scrooge or if you're a, a jolly old fellow. Uh, but anyway, uh, we're in our series, What Could We Bring? It's our Christmas series where we're looking at the Christmas stories as told in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. Last week we were looking at Mary and the Gospel of Luke. This morning we'll be in Matthew chapter 1. I don't know what it is for you <clears throat> when you were a kid. Uh, think back when you were a kid. And some of you, we have kids in here this morning. Um, what was the thing that got you excited that Christmas was coming? The gifts. Okay. Did I do another one? The decorations. Yes, sir. Elves. Yeah, that, they always get me excited. Uh, yeah, out of school. Yeah, when that, that was a big one as a kid. When you saw Christmas break on the calendar, and I don't know, I don't remember if we got two weeks when we were younger or not. I, I don't know, but anyway, um, the music, the lights, yeah, the presents, yeah, all these are good. Um, that, those are, you know, you see the lights going up around town and on the houses. You see Christmas trees being put in the window. The Christmas music starts playing on the radio, or maybe you start humming it uh, in your own head. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of things that can get us excited for Christmas. I want to share with you the thing that got me the most excited for Christmas. When I was a kid, there was a time of the year, and it was usually right after Thanksgiving, where the J.C. Penney Christmas catalog showed up in our house. Ethan, you didn't put that up there? Yeah, Amazon. <laughs> uh, and I, I got to explain this to some of our younger generation that's here this morning. Okay. Catalogs were a thing, okay? Um, so you couldn't go to the store with your phone and take pictures and send it to whoever was going to buy you gifts and say, this is what I want for Christmas. Uh, internet was not around. Believe it or not, there was a day when internet was not around. I don't think we had a computer in our personal home until I was like in high school or maybe middle school. Um, and, and it didn't have internet. I mean, and you know, you couldn't play games on it really because my parents would say, well, that's going to take all the memory space we have if you put a game on the computer. But anyway, uh, Phones were stuck on a wall, okay, and you would get the phone and you would do the dialy thing, but you had to stand there by the phone because it was actually connected to a cord. Uh, the very first cell phone I ever saw was actually a backpack. I don't know if you remember those, um, but it, it, it literally went into a backpack, and that was, that was in high school as well. And, and I was like, wow, that's really, that's really cool. That's fancy. Um, and so now we got all these other things. But anyway, I digress. The J.C. Penney Christmas catalog. When this thing showed up at our house, you knew Christmas was coming. And so we had a method with this. I have one older brother. His name is Rob. And when this thing showed up, my parents would place it either on a table or on the counter in the kitchen. We would spend a Saturday morning going through it because there's only one, they only got one catalog, and so we had to share it. And so what we would do is we would go through this catalog, and we would circle things and, and put our initial by it since there was two of us. Now, part of this catalog was complete nonsense for kids, because if you remember this catalog, the first half was clothes and bedding and towels and slippers and shoes, and you're like, ugh. And so you, you get to the second half of the catalog, and the second half of the catalog was all toys. And so for a kid, that's like, hallelujah. I mean, you were like pumped. 
that you're here. I mean, glory to God in the highest. A whole half a catalog just of toys. And so, Ethan, throw that next one up there. It it, kind of looked like, well, this is actually from the catalog. And so what we would do, me and my brother, we'd have to share this thing. Since he was older, he got to go first. And so we would go through, and we would just see something we would like, and then we would circle it. Now, this is obviously He-Man, and my mom was very anti-He-Man for most part. But we would circle it, and we would put our initial, so mine would be MH on it, and he would do RH. And then once we got done, you do what Santa does with a list. You go back and you check it twice. You make sure that you've circled everything in this, this catalog that you want for Christmas and that is perfect the way you want it. And then you make sure you place it somewhere in the house where your parents are going to get it. At least that's what we did. And so we'd always place it on my parents' bed because they were sure to see it there. They would have to at least move it before they go to bed. Now, it always disappeared about a week before Christmas. I, I can never find it. I think some reason it disappeared, and I don't know, I'll have to ask them this Christmas, is that they, they hid it. Because I don't think they wanted me and my brother sitting there opening presents and, and looking to see, I, I didn't initial this, and wonder why they even bought this, because there was always something from the first half of the catalog that ended up under the tree that we know we didn't circle. Um, but this was the best thing ever. This is what got me excited for Christmas, when that thing showed up and we got to start making our Christmas list. And as Dave mentioned, you know, receiving gifts is fun, um, but giving gifts is also a joy. To be able to give gifts and to bless someone else um, is, is a joy in itself. And so that's really what we're doing with this series when we get to what could you bring? What can we give a God who has everything and needs nothing. And so we're looking at what Mary brought. We did that last week. This morning we're looking at what Joseph brought. So we'll be in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, to see what does God want us to bring to him as a gift, not just at Christmas time, but every day of our life. And the word of the Lord says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you as your people wanting to submit our hearts, our wills, our souls, our minds, our strength completely to you, that we may love you in this moment, that we would not just be a hearer of your word, but, Lord, we would hear what your word is instructing us to do and and apply that into our life. Father, we do thank you. You've given us the greatest gift of all. You've given us your son. You've given us faith. You've given us grace. You've given us eternal life and forgiveness. Lord, I pray this morning 
that if someone here has not received your gift and not accepted your gift, that, Lord, your spirit would work in a way only it can work. I do not have the authority or the power to lead someone to salvation, but your spirit can do that. So meet them where they are and speak to their heart. Transform them. Recreate them. But, Lord, for all of us who have already accepted this incredible gift, we just want to come before you, and we want to hear your word, your voice speaking to our hearts. So transform us as well. We ask you to forgive us if we failed you in any way. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. <clears throat> so we spent some time last week, but if you weren't here last week, on this word betrothed, which you look and you find in verse 18. Um, and I just I want us to spend a little bit of time on this so we can just get the context of what is going on between Mary and Joseph. The word betrothed means more than what we think of when we think of like people being engaged to be married. Um, typically when an engagement happened in the day of the Bible, is two families would come together in agreement that they would unite their families through their son or their daughter, and so they would be set up in an engagement. And so it's never usually left to the seat of emotion or you know, having a crush on someone or love. Usually the fathers and, would come together and set this arrangement up, and so they would be engaged. And then as they got older, typically when the male became a, an age of an adult, which is in the 20 years of age as a Jewish person, the couple would enter into the betrothed period of that relationship. It's not that they weren't committed in the engagement process, but when they became betrothed, that was like all-in commitment. It became more official. And so by Jewish standards, when a couple was betrothed to be married, they were already considered husband and wife, though the marriage had not been legally bound or made official. This is why we're told that Joseph was her husband in verse 19. It's not because they were already married, but because of the stage of the relationship. Now, Douglas O'Donnell writes in his commentary on the book of Matthew that for the Jews, the engagement period was the month, the couple, the moment the couple had been arranged to be together, which we already talked about. And it was the engagement time, what we would consider an engagement. The young woman could break the agreement within the engagement time if she was unwilling to marry the man, and the male could do the same thing with the woman. If, if he was unwilling to marry her, they could break it off in that engagement period. But once they entered into the betrothal period, which lasted a year, it was absolutely binding. During this year, although they didn't live together or sleep to together, the couple was actually known as husband and wife. And so now a, a betrothal could only be broken when someone in that betrothed relationship was unfaithful. So they committed an act of adultery. And so that would be breaking off. And this is what Joseph has to be dealing with when he hears about Mary being pregnant. It says that she was found to be pregnant, verse 20, that he was considering these things, about breaking this off, because his understanding, as I think we all would have had, is that Mary has been unfaithful in this relationship, and so therefore she has broken our commitment to be together. You know, there, there were no clinics in this day. A woman did not go to a clinic in order to become pregnant. That wasn't even something thought about in the Bible. So if a girl becomes pregnant, and yet she was adamant that she was still a virgin and never been with a man, we would come to the conclusion, this girl has lost her mind. She is not thinking correctly. It was illogical to perceive a female becoming pregnant without that female being with the male. But Scripture tells us in verse 18 
that Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And, and we understand that part of the story because most of us have grown up hearing the Christmas story as we look in and we see from the Scripture, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. But if we were in this circumstance, we have to understand Joseph does not. He does not understand what is going. All he knows is that Mary, the woman he was going to spend the rest of his life with, have kids, build a house that he has been engaged to probably the majority of his life, is now betrothed to be with her. She is now pregnant, and Joseph knows this one fact. He's not the daddy. He had nothing to do with this. So the most logical conclusion for Joseph is that Mary's been unfaithful. She has committed an act of adultery. Because if a girl told us today she was pregnant and never had sex, we would say, you need some counseling. You need to go find some help. Now, Joseph had some options. And this is what he's considering when you look in verse 20. He's considering these things. He doesn't want to put her to public shame. He wants to do it, do, divorce her quietly. And so here are his options according to the law of God. The top option is that he can bring Mary into the public square, reveal what she has done, that she is now pregnant, and then the community itself would stone Mary to death as an adulteress. That was the top option. The Lord permitted that because the Lord has this sanctity of marriage and the sanctity of sexual relationships. The second option that Joseph could do is he could give Mary a certificate of divorce to break off the marriage. And on the certificate, he would take it to the Jewish court in which he would have to put in writing why he is breaking off the marriage, which would ultimately lead to Mary's public shame. Third option, Joseph could take Mary as his wife, even though he knows that she is pregnant with a child and all he can understand is she must have been with someone, which would have brought shame upon himself and their relationship, and their marriage. It would have brought shame on their family because people would have figured out, okay, uh, they've been married so long, but now they have a kid coming. And so in Jewish society, they would have understood that they did something before the marriage was actually legal and official. So if Joseph chose option three, here's the thing that would happen according to the law of God. Joseph would now be guilty and would be liable for stoning just as much as Mary. And so he's in this tough situation, and he has to make a decision on what he's going to do. And his conclusion is that he is going to divorce her quietly and not put her to public shame. And reveals what we are to bring, our first thing this morning. We are to bring our mercy. Joseph, whose limited understanding of the situation would have been Mary had cheated on him. That she had broke their vow to be together. And he had full right to put Mary in her place. And everyone in his society would have agreed that's the thing to do. But even if he didn't decide to pursue the death penalty for Mary, and he was going to issue her, issue her this certificate of divorce, the pregnancy would eventually become public knowledge. We would all agree with that? It's kind of hard being pregnant when you're in month eight and month nine. And so people, like in our day, would have probably jumped to conclusion why Joseph didn't want to marry Mary. She obviously did something that was unfaithful toward, towards him, and so Mary would ultimately be considered an adulteress. And in Jewish society, get this, this is, blows my mind. Because she has a child and it's not with Joseph, she would not only be considered an adulteress, 
Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, in her society, would be considered a prostitute. Can you imagine that? Sweet little Mary at the manger, considered a prostitute. This is the view Joseph is wrestling with. And he says that before they came together, verse 18, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. Joseph doesn't know that yet. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, that public disgrace, resolved to divorce her quietly. Can you imagine how mad Joseph would have been when he found out? How heartbroken? I I know this wasn't part of his five-year plan, right? But he hears about this woman he's going to get married to, and he decides in the midst of it, even though everything's been turned upside down in his life, everything has now changed, he's not going to put Mary to public shame. It means he's going to file for divorce through the courts like he would have to, but instead of putting a reason, he was going to leave it blank. Sure, people are going to probably figure it out after a while, but Mary or Joseph is not going to be part of belittling Mary. He showed her mercy. And showing mercy is difficult because it causes, calls us to live above our emotional responses. Mercy requires us to think of someone else more than our own well-being. The Baker Encyclopedia writes concerning mercy. Mercy is one of the most essential qualities of God. Specifically, it designates that quality in God by which he faithfully keeps his promises and maintains his covenant relationship with chosen people despite their unworthiness and their unfaithfulness. And there are many synonyms employed in translation to express the dimensions of the meaning of mercy. Words like kindness, loving kindness, goodness, grace, favor, pity, compassion, and steadfast love. Prominent in the concept of mercy is the compassionate disposition to forgive an offender or adversary and to help or spare him in their sorry plight. This is the godliness of Joseph. This is what makes him a just and righteous man. His world has been turned upside down. He's facing this huge dilemma and this huge decision. And yet in the midst of it, instead of making himself feel better, instead of going along with what society may say is right, he decides, I'm going to show mercy and compassion to a woman for all I know has been unfaithful to me comes to mercy and us gifting. Here's the thing, though. We, we don't gift God mercy, right? You can't gift an all-powerful God who's never wrong, who is holy and perfect mercy. To give mercy is to be in a place of power in a situation where you have the ability to do something. And so we don't gift this to God. God instead has given us mercy. And the Bible says we are therefore called to give mercy to others. And when we do this... It is a gift of God, and we respond to God's incredible love and gift of mercy to us. It shows that we actually understand what God has done for us. To give mercy is to say, I understand how much a mercy and holy God has given me. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, that blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, in bringing mercy, here's something we all must be aware of as well and something Joseph was willing to do. We bring our reputation. You know, we've talked in the last several months about turning the other cheek, and when we get back to our series, we'll deal with the idea of forgiveness, and we've done them a little bit there. Those are always easier to say than produce in life. 
The way of the world is to get even. The way of the world is that we're going to put people in their place because if we don't, they might walk all over us. When we forgive, though, which we're called to, and when we give mercy, and when we don't strive to get even, or when we don't want to put someone in their place, even if they deserve it, and even if everyone agrees with us, they deserve it, we're going to put our reputation on the line. The people of this world don't understand mercy, and the world has shown it this last year. The world has looked at history's past mistakes. And instead of showing mercy to people in the past that we, we can't even punish today, what do we want to do? We want to cancel it. We want to get rid of it. We don't want to learn from it. And so we want to just wipe it away. This is the viewpoint for many people in the Jewish society as well. Remember the story? Jesus is in his ministry. The religious leaders bring a woman who has been caught in the act of adultery, and they want Jesus to judge in the matter. What they really wanted was for this woman to be canceled, and they want Jesus to bring down the judgment of the stoning, because that's what the Word of God says. But what does Jesus do in that moment? He shows the woman mercy, just as he does us. Unfortunately, mercy in this world is seen as a weakness rather than a strength to have a heart of love and mercy and forgiveness and to live out that heart in our dealings with people. Some are going to call us weak and they're going to look down on us. It's going to ruin our worldly reputation, but so what? The Bible tells us that Joseph was a just man. Other translations say that he was a righteous and he was a good man. The phrase means in describing Joseph is that he obeyed the law of God. He understood the implications of not obeying God's law. The Bible also tells us that God is a just God. And the word here isn't only referring to Joseph's obedience to the law, but how he lived out the law, which is seen in his giving mercy. But not only was Joseph's righteousness and justness at stake from a society, we're also told in verse 20 that Joseph was a son of David, which say he was an ascendant or descendant of David. In the Jewish side, that's royal blood right there. That's, that's lineage right there. To say you are part of that family, part of King David's family. To be of the family line of David would have held a high standard in Joseph's own family, in his own culture. Joseph, in being part of God's plan in this moment, is going to put his family name on the line. His family's reputation his reputation as being a just man, his reputation as being faithful to the word of God, his reputation as being righteous. But that's what we have to bring God. We have to bring our reputation. Whoever we think we are, what we have accomplished, we lay it at his feet. Jesus says in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Here's the thing. Christmas isn't about us. Christianity isn't about us. Christmas and Christianity are all about bringing glory to God. And we have to put our reputation on the, on the line when we do this. Despite everything Joseph knew to be right. Despite knowing what everyone else around him is going to think about this situation. When the angel gave Joseph the inside details about what was actually taking place. Told in verse 24, Joseph woke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. 
He was obedient. I can't imagine the things that were going through his head that he was trying to consider and trying to figure out, trying to explain to his family and friends why he was going to leave Mary or why he was even going to stay with Mary. I mean, can you imagine the conversations that Joseph had after marrying Mary and she had a child? Yeah, I knew she was pregnant the whole time. No, it wasn't mine. Um, so here's what happened. Um, the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary, and then an angel told me in a dream that um, I should stay with her. And so I did. Can you imagine hearing that sort of conversation today? What would you be thinking in your head if someone told you that, yeah, well, the Holy Spirit, you know, did it, and then uh, God told me in a dream to stay with it, and so I did. Like, you're crazy. You're off your rocker. But it shows what Joseph does and what we should do as well, which we bring our obedience. There's no way Joseph understood everything the Lord was working right now and what he was up to. I highly doubt, like I said, this was Joseph's plan. I highly doubt this was what he was envisioning and praying for to happen in his relationship with Mary. Scripture lets us know that Joseph had doubts just as much as Mary had doubts. And the Lord revealed his plan, though. Joseph said, okay, Lord, if that's your plan, if that's your word, I can only be obedient to it. See, when it comes to being obedient to God's word, it isn't about whether we understand it. It isn't about whether we know why. It isn't whether we like it or we want to do it. Obedience is all about trusting God. Now, this doesn't mean when we're obedient we don't have questions. We can ask questions. Mary, we saw last week, had questions. But in her questions, she still was going to be obedient to what God told her to do. Obedience is trusting God even though we may not understand, even though we may not like it, even though we may have questions. Because here's what we know about God according to his word. God is God. That's it. He's the only God. God has a plan. He is working that eternal plan out. He's been doing so since Genesis, and he will when all things come to pass. God can do anything. Here's a good one. God loves us. God loves us. He is for us and not against us. He tells us that in his word. God is faithful. God has our best in mind. Our best. And we may not like when we have to get to the best, but God is working things out for our good. God will never fail us. Never. This is what we know about God. And so when we're obedient to the word of God, our hearts actually show that we love God and we trust him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The word keep in John 14, 15 means to observe them daily in life. No matter if we understand why we should or even if we want to. It also, the word keep means to guard God's word in our life. Leon Morris writes, obedience is the mark of true love. If it, being love, is real, it is shown in deeds. Meaning love calls to love. 
When it comes to obedience to God and knowing how we respond, it can be answered with these questions. How do we respond when God speaks to our hearts? Do we try to shove it off? We try to forget it? Try to ignore it? We say, God, oh, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but let me pray about it. Let me put it on pause. Let me put it on the back burner. Or do we listen and put it into practice? How is our obedience? It was over six years ago. Six years ago, Jamie and I were sitting in a different living room that we have now. And we had this conversation. We really felt God was stirring on our hearts about moving and finding a new place of ministry. And I have to say this, you know, I was, I was pastoring at the time. There was nothing going on at the church that was pushing us out. Absolutely nothing. I mean, God was moving. The church was growing spiritually and physically. The church family was loving on us and ministering us just as much as we got to minister to them. There was nothing, no red flags. But God placed it on both of our hearts to start thinking about the idea of moving and finding a new ministry and where he wants us to be. And so we, we took some time to pray about it. Something you need to know about Jamie. Jamie is an investigator. It's not like her title or her job. She didn't have paid for it. But she can find just about anything on the Internet. I mean, there'll be things she'll find on Facebook, and I'll be like, show me how you did it. And she'll show me. I'm like, well, I did that too, and it didn't happen. And so I don't know what. She's like a wizard with the web. And so she can find anything. And so we're, we're, having, we're praying, and we're talking about this. And so I'm going through the classifieds, you know, they put out in, in some of the Baptist papers, and I'm looking on the Internet, and, and uh, I'm, I came across two churches. And so I said, investigator, do your thing. Find all the dirt you can. Find whatever you can about these two churches. Uh, one was Harvest Hill, and one was a church in Lebanon. And so she found what she could, and, and we talked about it. We prayed about it some more, and we both had this sense of peace that we're going to send a resume to both churches. So we sent them off. Silence. Not even response. Hey, thanks for your resume. Thanks for your interest. Complete silence. Not just from Harvest Hill, from the other church too. So we thought, okay. I, I guess, you know, God's not moving, and we just kind of... Kind of just put it behind us, and we went on doing the ministry, and we got to call us to do where we were. Months go by, <laughs> and I we're we're at, we're actually at camp, so we hadn't heard anything for months. The same week, within twelve hours, I hear from both churches, both of them wanting to get together to meet, both of them wanting to do in the exact same week in August. And both of them wanting to do it in the city of Lebanon. And I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? <laughs> I didn't understand what was happening. I knew what God was leading us to do. And so we said, okay, we're going to just, we're going to give this to God. We're going to pray about this some more. Luckily, it was about time we go on our family vacation near the end of July. And, and so I, I was down on the dock. I was reading my Bible. I was praying. It was in the morning. I had my coffee. It was just, you know, a beautiful time because, it, you know, chaos and hasn't begun and I just heard God say, you need to pull out of Lebanon. I had, I had no other reason beyond that. You need to pull out of Lebanon. So I came back and I told Jamie, I don't know why. I believe God is, is telling us that we need to pull out of the church in Lebanon and we need to go all in 
with Harvest Hill. Keep in mind, we had never, we had never met anyone from Harvest Hill at the time. We've driven through Stratford, but, it, you know, it was like to get to Springfield or Branson. I mean, it, Stratford wasn't even on the map at the time. We had no conversation, but we felt God was saying, you need to go all in on this basket. But he's also telling us, I'm not telling you this is where I'm sending you, but this, I need you to go all in for here. So we did that. Met the pastor search committee. I'm going to confess it today. Some of y'all don't know this. Met the pastor search committee at a place in Lebanon that has a huge barrel representing beer. I thought, okay, this is going to be different. <laughs> we go in, and they have reserved a room, which was, what was the name of that room? The optimism room, or the optimistic room, op Optimist Club. That's the room we have. We have the Optimist Club room. And so we're sitting there like, okay, and here's another thing. We beat the pastor search committee to the meeting. I'm like, this is, this is really going to be interesting. We sit around, we talk, food is fine. Um, <laughs> but someone may be listening. So um, we get back in the car, we... we and we started driving home, and we're both just kind of sitting there with a smile. All right. <laughs> um, we felt good about it, though. And so we said, okay, we're going to keep pursuing this until God closes the door. And as we <clears throat> started getting more involved in conversation, as I went on a co-op mission to Arrowhead with Darren, um, which was fun because that really threw him off. And uh, it wasn't a recruiting thing. It really wasn't. Was it, Darren? It was actually my idea. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he barely knew me, but he was stuck in a car with me for like three hours. So that was fun. That, that, three hours there and three hours. Anyway, so we felt God was opening the door. Again, nothing at the church was pushing us out. We had close friends there and people we knew that loved us. But then things started shutting. And we had moments of tears, moments of, of prayer, and, and, and sometimes moments of just shouting out to God, what are you doing? I mean, things felt like you were going this way, and all of a sudden these doors start shutting. And then God would just show up, and he would fling them wide open. Things that, it was just like, that only happens because God's there. Couldn't find a house. I mean, you... Stratford Market's tough today. You know, five years ago, it wasn't much better. The only houses we could find were like piles of dirt at the moment. Um, finally found a house um, where we live today. The guy had a couple coming to look at the house. Like, we just walked in on him. I mean, we were literally just walked in on the guy while he's remodeling his house. Like, hey, can we look around? <laughs> and he let us look around, and then said, wow, it's really nice. And he said, yeah, I got another couple coming here in a couple hours to look at it as well. And so we said, you know, we're going we're gonna to put an offer on it before we even got all the way back um, home to where we were going. And he said, well, let me, let me wait for this couple to get here, and then I'll, I'll call you back as soon as I know what they want to do. Well, okay, that's fine, that's fine. Um, maybe they won't like it. Um, <laughs> he calls us back in about an hour and says, yeah, they like it. They made an offer, full cash. It's like, <laughs> I'm a pastor and she's a teacher. We definitely can't do that. Um, so we were crushed because we really felt this is where God was bringing us, but we have to have a place to live. And um, God flung that open. He, 
the guy called me back on Monday, and he said, look, I, I talked with this guy. He's a dentist in Springfield. I told him who you all were and what you're doing and how you're feeling God's calling you to come here. And he said, well, let him have it then. I'm not going to get away of a pastor being called to a place. Let him have it. And then we had issues with the bank and all these hoops and things we had to jump through. And, and God just kept opening doors left and right. When it seemed like we hit a wall, we was like, okay, we, we're going to give it to you, God. Do you know what we need? If it's not this house, you know we need a place to live. And he just kept flinging doors wide open. We didn't under, understand everything. It wasn't always easy. There were times of tears. There was times where we just felt weak and incapable of doing anything. But because we remained obedient, here's what happened when we're obedient. God reveals his greatness in our life. He reveals his power and things that only he can do if we remain obedient. And we just keep pushing forward. I mean, you figure out how it all played out. We're obviously here. We celebrate five years just a couple of weeks ago. But there are times there's a lot of uncertainty in the midst of it. So if God is calling you to do something and you're not sure about it, don't reject God because disobedience, here it is, disobedience is sin. And so we've got to follow God's leading. But obedience is going to require faith. It's going to require faith in a God who loves us and a God who has his best for us and is calling us to show our love and trust to him by being obedient. So maybe the question for us this morning is, is there something God has been calling you to or guiding you to that you haven't been obedient in where he's leading? Maybe he's calling you to work in the nursery. And you don't like kids, but tough. Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. Maybe he's calling you to help out with the student ministry. Maybe he's calling you to start leading a small group. Trust me, when, when we just say, okay, God, I'll do it, he reveals his power, and he works through us, and then he gets the glory. And it's awesome. Maybe you're here and you've been here before and God has spoken to your heart about that gift that Dave started out with. And you understand it. You believe it. But you haven't really accepted it. See, the Bible says that in order for us to be saved, we first have to admit to God that we're a sinner. We have fallen short. We have done things we're not proud about. We have done things that we don't really want to put on a billboard. We have some regrets, and so we have sin in our life. But the beauty of this gift is the Bible also says when we believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son who died for our sin and took our punishment and then rose from the grave to show his power over sin and death so we might find forgiveness and be given eternal life, the Bible says when we believe that in our heart, there's one more step. And it isn't to prove ourselves, it isn't anything like that. It's confession. The Bible says we must confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And confession is a public declaration. That's what that word means. And so you may have been here before and God has spoken to you. The Spirit has moved on your heart that you need to accept Jesus and be saved and forgiven. But you're so scared about what everyone else may think, then you're not being obedient to God. You're worrying about what other people think instead of worrying about what God is calling you to do. And so if you're here this morning and this is you, God, by his grace and his great mercy, is giving you this gift again to respond to. 
And I'm going to ask you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. We'll talk about that. We'll pray about it. We'll celebrate. And I guarantee you this. If you've had fear in your heart, I guarantee you this. There's not a person in this room who will not celebrate with you if you make this decision. But maybe you're like me and brothers and sisters Christ. There's times that being obedient is scary. Maybe God is calling you to do something and you've been reluctant. Are you willing to step out on faith? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your great kindness to us. Your faithfulness, even when we are unfaithful. And thank you for this time of year where we get to celebrate the birth of our salvation and the gift of eternal life. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that knows or even just is unsure of whether or not they're saved, Lord, let your spirit just have their way, have its way with them. Give them such conviction they can't stay where they are. Father, I know that we all struggle with being obedient at times and following your lead. But I pray, Lord, that you help us just to trust you because you are so good. Forgive us where we have failed you and pray us all in the name of Jesus.